Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated, elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by the gorgeous Andy Quinn, co-founder of Etch Sparkling, partner of Jason Quinn, who's been on this podcast before, amazing human. Welcome, Andy. How are you? Hey, Danny. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here. Oh my gosh, it's so great to to have you here and to to be able to hear your story and your story today is a bit different because you didn't actually have a serious problem with alcohol but you're you're here today to talk about your journey though with sobriety in support of your partner Jason and I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this story who have partners who have a, a drinking problem or someone that they know a friend or relative that has a drinking problem and how you go about supporting those people so I think it's an interesting topic you know and and I get messages about it from people how do I support my husband or how do I support my wife yeah so tell tell me a bit about you know how it was for you and the journey with with I talked a little bit about your drinking too yeah did you ever get smashed <laughs> of course yes there you go. <laughs> so I think it's, it's a bit of a common theme I hear on 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 your podcast and on many podcasts that I started out like many people, many young Australians, pinching liquor from my mum's liquor cabinet, mm-hmm. probably um, well, way too young that I should have been, probably around the 12, 13 um, age mark. Yep. I had a, I'm the youngest of three, so I have an elder brother who's six years older and a sister who's three years older. So 
I think having, you know, they would have been having alcohol when I was still quite young and so I definitely was able to access it. Um, And I remember a couple of times early on in, in those younger years where I think it would have affected how my relationship going forward with alcohol. I remember having a time with um, some young friends at my house. We would have been, I reckon, around 13. And we all were drinking and they got really drunk and quite sick. And I remember, you know, being really nervous and holding their hair back out of their face while they vomited in the, you know, sink and and thinking to myself, I don't ever want to be this person. I don't want to ever lose control like this I sort of always wanted to stay in control Um, another really pivotal moment I think was when I was probably around 15 or 16 at a beach party Um, I um, one of my girlfriends was beside herself hysterical upset because she'd gone too far with her boyfriend and um, was really upset that that had happened and again I just thought I just have to you know make sure I stay in control. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but don't get me wrong, I definitely got drunk. I definitely had many times on the booze, but I was probably one of those people that was able to go out, go dancing, have a few drinks and drive home. You know, those weird people that can do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was definitely a part of my upbringing. It was always involved in any celebrations or any commiserations every event evolved around alcohol um I don't remember my own family being huge drinkers but again it was always there it was you know I remember for my 18th birthday getting a bottle of um Maduri and that was like the most exciting thing so it was definitely a symbol of you know growing Midori, up is that the green stuff the green it'll one it, and it make your tongue go blue I think as well. well, yeah, I think we used to mix it with pineapple juice. How disgusting is that? But um, and one yeah. thing would make your poo blue. Oh, remember. blue curacao, maybe? Maybe. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> probably have a good few, but yeah. I not digress. Good. <laughs> not good. Not good. But um, yeah, so yeah. I I really developed uh, interest in the wine industry. I was living overseas in London and. Um, decided to do a wine course and where um, where I live here on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria, it's a beautiful wine region. And so when I came home from living overseas, I decided to get a job in the wine area and um, that's where I met my husband, Jason. So we were both working for family wineries on the Mornington Peninsula and we met at this beautiful event called The Longest Lunch where um, 100 people were seated um, at a table and Jason and I were working for two different wineries pouring wine and um, yeah sat and had lunch together under the tree and uh, sparked off a bit of a friendship and the rest is history. People's drinking habits don't usually show up straight away. <laughs> did it when did you start to notice the issues with with Jason's drinking? Yeah so well we had you know a mutual passion for wine really at that stage so our social life revolved around dinner parties, revolved about going to wineries and having tastings. Our social circle was very, you know, intertwined with that. Jason went on to climb the corporate ladder in the wine industry and I um, stayed home to raise our two beautiful children. And um, 
you know, the stresses of life for Jason started to to increase as, you know, trying to pay mortgages and look after a family. And I think he was putting a lot of pressure on himself because, you know, I always say this to him, I never cared about any of that financial stuff. It was always more important to have him. But I think for him, he was needing to tick boxes. So he started probably increasing his drinking gradually and um, working in the wine industry. So he was working for some of Australia's largest wine brands at this point and we would get a ridiculous amount of wine allowance every month. So we had a huge, huge access to to wine and a huge cellar full of wine. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so I I would always be the driver when we'd go out. But really it never never occurred to me that there was any problem because from the outside it looked really normal. I mean, it looked the same as everyone else that I could see. Jason's behaviour wasn't unusual. He was never violent or aggressive. Was he getting um, drunk? Like was was like you're getting to the end of the night and he was physically drunk? Yeah, the worst that he would do would repeat himself. So mm-hmm. And I couldn't, yeah, he would sort of slur and, and just say the same thing over and over again. Um, that was when he was really, really drunk. Mm. Um, so, but, you know, that wasn't just on a Monday night at home. He, he really didn't, he really controlled his drinking for the majority of the time. And, you know, we'd talk about having an AFD. So he would often not drink Monday to Friday and then drink, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, but when I look back, I remember a time, and it would have been probably around 14 years ago now, that he said to me, I think I've got a problem. He he had been drinking this night and he said, I think I've got a problem with booze. And I was like, don't be silly. You know, of course you haven't. What do you mean? How could you? But I really think the lesson in that was that that intuition was there way, way, way before, you know, earlier on the piece. He knew that something wasn't quite right, even though it looked normal and he just kept ploughing on because that's what you do and, you know, you're only Australian if you can keep up with the rest of the crowd. (laughs) Totally. I hear a lot of people that when they say to their loved ones sometimes or friends, you know, I've I've got a problem, that seems to come back at them a lot. No, what are you talking about? No, you don't because people hide it so well. They hide what's actually going on with them. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Even um, when Jason did seek help down the track, probably even fairly early on, when he would go to a GP and just say, you know, I might be drinking too much. I mean, maybe he wasn't completely honest, but he'd come home and say to me, they said it was fine, the amount I'm drinking is fine. In fact, they wanted to buy wine off me because, you know, we owned a wine business at the time. So, um you know, and that would have happened probably three times. So I can imagine he was crying out for help but probably not ready for it yet. And and trying to get help but either, yeah, he wasn't disclosing completely or but would there have been a part of you that didn't want to see it either because there was the financials and the social groups and everything caught up in it? Would that have been a bit scary for you if he did have a problem? To be honest, I really think I was just oblivious to the fact that People, I thought there were alcoholics or normal people, normal being in inverted commas. Like um, I didn't know there was 
that grey area. And I think, again, if, if he could have pulled things up a little bit earlier in that time, things would have been different. But to answer your question, I possibly, subconsciously possibly, I was trying to ignore it, but I really, I didn't know anyone who had a problem with alcohol. So mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that why we really want to share our journey was because I struggled to relate to anyone else because I hadn't met or heard anyone who had a similar journey. But now I know there's a lot of them out there. <laughs> so, yeah, so Jason then was attempting to moderate and he'd go, he'd go periods of time where he could have a month off and then he would get back onto it. Um, and gradually it would get back up to the rate that he was drinking where he wasn't happy with. And it got to a point um, where he, he his mental health was definitely declining and he was normally, I, I describe him as an energiser bunny, he does not sit still. And I remember this one day where he didn't get out of bed and, and it was probably happening a bit, he was sleeping in a lot. And I said to him, you know, could it be depression? What do you think? What do you think is going on? And he, he just said, I, I don't know what I've got to be depressed about. But, you know, everything in my life is wonderful. I've got a, a great job. At this time he was working in what would be considered his dream job. He, he was probably seven months into a job with a, a large French wine business looking after their Australia Pacific business. Um, and he just said, oh, I just don't know, what could I be depressed about? And I said, I, I don't think it works like that. And so I made an appointment for a GP and that really started the ball rolling. Um, but unfortunately, that's when the hard work really starts to happen. And that's when things started to really decline as well. So when he acknowledged that he couldn't stop. Um, so... Yeah, quite rapidly. I, I, I say this is probably a period of um, 18 months to two years. The lying started. So, you know, in the early days he would say to me, I'm not drinking. Um, or then he'd say, I'm going to start drinking. So, for example, he he would open a bottle of Pinot in the, in the kitchen and I'd say, oh, wow, he's done so well. He's only had two glasses out of that. But little did I know that in the study he also had a bottle open and down in the pool shed he also had a bottle open. So things like that started to happen and I started to find empty bottles stacked back in the wine rack and I was still obviously in denial because I still just thought, oh, I'm always hiding it from me. Like he's still able to hold down a job. He's still able to function completely well. He was getting up and going for a run three days a week, four days a week. So I was just a bit confused why he was hiding it from me. And, you know, obviously now I look back and think, what an idiot. But I couldn't really have done anything about it anyway. So it it just started to become very confusing for me. And um, this man who was normally a really moral, good man who would never lie, you know, I just started to think, well, maybe he's telling me the truth, maybe Maybe it's me that's going crazy. And I think that's something, a message for people who are supporting someone is that your intuition is usually right. And I think for me, you know, it was so confusing because he was normally such an honest person. 
yeah, so things started to to go a bit off at home. And that's when I really started to, you know, I use the analogy of the oxygen mask when you're on an aircraft and you know how they say fit the oxygen mask on yourself and your children before you help others. And I really had to switch my brain to going, okay, I can't do anything to stop him. I've tried. I'd I'd put podcasts under his nose. I'd put books under his nose. I'd made appointments. I'd I'd done all the things. But um, I realised that I had to start focusing on my own mental wellness. And um, so doing um, in doing that, I did a lot of research. I would listen to podcasts. I would read books. um, On alcoholism? On alcoholism, yeah, because it was really important to me to understand where he was coming from. Did you ask him, like when you found the bottles and, you know, you found the empties and, you know, in the other rooms and things, did you confront him about it? Um, I don't remember a specific confrontation, but probably not. I probably just pulled them out of the wine rack and put them in the recycling bin. Um, you're a good wife, I would have been like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I think I just knew that he knew he was doing something wrong and I, I didn't want to embarrass him maybe. I'm not sure. I mean, perhaps I did bring it up and, um, you know, I, I did sort of at one time think, oh, maybe he's saving the bottles because sometimes we would save good bottles, you know, with to save the labels to remember. So there was sometimes I would think it was something like that. Mm-hmm. Again, probably my brain rationalising it. Um, but anyway, so I think... What I really, I read this book about um, showing compassion to people going through addiction and how you can support them with compassion. And I think that was the way I went with it. So I tried to understand what he was going through. I I had a podcast that I listened to, which I found really helpful. um, That was that. Do you know? Do Do you know the name of the book and the podcast? Yeah, I should get the name of the book for you. I'll find out for you. Post it in the show notes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The podcast was called Addicted by um, Ash and Jodie Bradnam. Awesome. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. They don't don't have the podcast anymore, but I think the the original one's still up there. And I would drive home from work and listen to this podcast and it it was brutal. It was, it was, Ash's um, story with alcohol was probably even more, was worse than what Jason's was, but it comforted me because it made me feel that other people are going through this and also the fact that Ash was now sober and talking about it. I don't know, the word hope, that word had never had really much meaning to me before, but during this time that word hope just really changed you know it it was because I was starting to lose hope you know it was getting to the point where he was saying you know I'm gonna I'm I'm not gonna drink I'm not gonna drink and then I would find that he had drunk again and he mentioned to me that he was having suicidal thoughts and um was quite open about that which was really hard because then I became really nervous about leaving him alone and what I would find if I came home 
I spoke about, you know, we were discussing getting him into rehab and we, because he just, he had this job, he kept saying to me, I've got, I've got two weeks worth of work that I've got to get done and then, then we can look at getting me into rehab. And um, I said to him, look, if you had a broken leg, you wouldn't be waiting two weeks to get into rehab. You'd go in now. And so it's still, I think I was chipping away at him. I think he knew that something had to happen. But, you know, he was in such a state of um, depression and not knowing what to do next. Um, So... Unfortunately, he had a bit of a, um, we had a little bit of a tiff on the way when I was driving home one day and um, he was meant to have gone to a outpatient facility that day and I could tell he'd been drinking. And so I said to him, we'll talk about it when I get home. Um, you know, the kid, I, didn't, I never felt unsafe with the children around him or anything like that. I always felt that he was safe, but I did worry about him driving and drinking. Um, and anyway, this particular, um, evening, he left when I got home and I wasn't aware that he'd left, but, um, so I was sort of tucking the kids in and found out that he'd gone. Um, and he had gone to the bottle shop and purchased a large amount of alcohol and consumed it. And, um, with, with the purpose of, shutting out the noise and stopping the noise. Um, I don't know whether the purpose was to end his life or not, but it was definitely just to, to get off the roller coaster, basically. And he ended up in intensive care. So pretty much from that time there, he um, went from intensive care straight into rehab and spent the next three weeks in rehab. Unfortunately, it wasn't a magic fix, but it's a start a start yeah can I ask some questions Andy of course just rewinding back a little bit you know those times where it's like he should have been going to out you know to be an outpatient and he's still drinking and Mm -hmm. worried about him driving yeah how does that feel to be that partner like is it scary are you angry like both like what's it like to be trying to support yeah yeah, all of it. <laughs> I yeah. think, you know, I, I remember thinking to certain incidents, so one particular incident I found when he had told me he wasn't drinking, I found his stash. And I had a moment to myself where I thought, how do I react to this? Do I react with compassion and kindness or do I yell and scream? Because what's going to be the most effective? How do I get him how do I break through that barrier, you know? So that time, and that's probably the only time I chose to yell and scream and I smashed bottles and I, it was quite scary because we're not like that. We don't yell and scream in our family. We don't really fight. Mm -hmm. So, but it was a conscious choice that I made and it was like an experiment to me was that, is this going to work? Because most of the time I was choosing compassion um, there was another incident where he had Hang on, done, did that work? Uh, it shocked him. Um, did it work? It didn't stop him from drinking, no. no. It stopped him probably for a few days or a day or a month, I'm not sure. 
Mm-hmm. Um, another incident happened, and this was unfortunately after rehab. So he did drink again after rehab, which was absolutely devastating. He, yeah, it was a awful experience. But for me, the next day, I just went up to him and I gave him a hug and I said, that was a mistake. Today's a new day. Let's let's move on and not let that um, hold hold you back. And I think he's mentioned that that was so helpful to him. Again, it was hard. I wanted to punch the lights out of him. I was so angry at him. Um, we were actually in a hotel room in Melbourne in Crown Casino and I booked this weekend for the family. We ended up not being able to leave the hotel room. Well, I didn't want to leave the hotel room because he, he'd been drinking. So, um, yeah, look, it was there's some really unattractive things that, you know, happen when it's like he was possessed because he would never normally behave like that. Just to say again that those words that you said to him, to, that was a mistake in today's new day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that is really powerful. Like even you saying that just makes me feel like, oh, and it does give that yeah. kind of sense of hope and that, yeah, today is a new day. And that would have taken real guts too to be able to say that because I reckon most people just want to punch them in the face, especially for <laughs> was, ruining the family holiday, you know. Yeah, well, it was funny. So that next day um, he normally hates shopping and I dragged him around to the shops because we wanted to go shopping and made him get his credit card out to buy new things. <laughs> that was my punishment. <laughs> That was the way I got him back. But, um, yeah, look, I think that choosing compassion can be really hard and I can imagine anyone listening who's got a loved one who's going through that. It's, you know, every scenario is so different. But um, I really believe, you know, it wasn't his fault, it wasn't his choice. He never would have wanted to, to be drinking like that. So how could I be angry at him? It, it wasn't him. It was the illness, um, yeah. bloody substance that um, is an addictive substance that we are led to believe is a lot of fun. And it can be a lot of fun for some people, but mm-hmm. for others it's not so fun. Yeah. yeah. It's great to be able to, yeah, if you can sort of maintain that compassion. I guess it's it's within your own parameters, like what's possible for you, like yeah. what you're able to give and what you will and won't tolerate, I guess. Because for some people, Mm -hmm. if they keep giving the compassion and the person just keeps on doing it and keeps on doing it and it's starting to affect them and how they're feeling about themselves. So if you were starting to get low self-esteem or it's affecting your own mental health, then I guess then there probably has to be some boundaries put in place. One thing that Gabor Mate says that when you're dealing with a loved one is to say to them, like, I love you and I understand that you're trying to soothe yourself in the only way that you know how, but for now I'm going to need to protect myself. Yeah. And and if that means that I can't see you for this time while you're getting going through this and while you're soothing yourself in this way, I think that's a really beautiful way of seeing it too, that they're soothing themselves in the only way that they know how. Yeah. And um, hope hope that they can see another way to to do that. Yeah, and I think that, that goes back to that oxygen mask analogy is that exactly. really prioritising your own mental health. Um and it's not easy, you know, it really isn't. It's easy for me to sit here now and say I did that, but I was in a constant state of anxiety. Um, one thing, another thing that really helped me and um, was 
sharing what we were going through with friends and family and that was something and I think Jason was amazing at doing was that he was really open with his journey and that kept him accountable um so uh, yeah. I was really able to you know ring up my sister-in-law and say oh, I need to talk to you about this and and know that she loved Jason as well and so you know I think sharing having someone you can trust where that for lucky for me it was a lot of people I had a lot of friends and my own family and Jason's family that we could all talk about it um and for Jason like if he had a slip up he would say to me Andy I'm going around to mum and dad's now I just need to tell them what I've you know what's happened so he was always doing that too, which I had a lot of respect for. That's really important. And I know of, of friends of, yeah, friends of ours that are going through a similar thing and he's always slipping up. He keeps, you know, and he's, she's trying to support him. And, but it's all very secretive. Yeah. So they're, they're keeping his drinking really quiet and no one's meant to know about it, no one's meant to talk about it. And yeah. we know that, that he's gone off into rehab and, but it's all hush hush and it's like this it's like this shame around it where you know I just kind of want to bust them open and just say come on let's just talk you know like just be open and then you've got more support but yeah. both of you have that support then and, and that's yeah. one thing um shame thrives in silence and so yep. yeah shame it's... thrives in silence yeah and that can be you can relate that to anything but particularly about alcohol, you know, and that, again, is something why I feel so passionate about sharing our story because, you know, it, of course um, when you're going through that that time and you're doing things that you regret doing, there's shame involved. But I think if you can talk about it and share about it, it just, it just shines a light on it. So mm. it just takes away that feeling of shame. Um, Shining a light in the dark, I think it was maybe Oprah, one of her podcasts, her talking about that, you know, if you're in a dark room, you know, you don't try to sort of push the darkness, you actually flick the light on and shine yep. a light on the room and, you know, it's a very different experience then. Yeah, and I agree. Yeah. I mean, not not everyone would feel comfortable to share their journey with others and I guess, you know, one of the reasons they probably aren't comfortable is because of risk of failure. Um, but I reckon that's another reason why you really should share because, you know, again, every every family dynamic's different, but um, that risk of failure is, is always there anyway, but you've got people that you can fall back on and ask for support. So, yeah, and, I mean, that could be going to anonymous me. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Things, um... But just having that support network around. So for me, luckily I was able to talk to family and friends. Um, I did try and go to anonymous um, family meetings but didn't feel it was the right fit for me. So, you know, there is that resource available um, through Al-Anon for people who, um, who may be partners of someone going through alcohol problems. What do you think someone should do if their partner says, I don't want you to talk to anyone about this? Mm. Yeah, that's a hard one, isn't it? Which I feel like Um, might be going on with these people that I know, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's about having boundaries around yourself, isn't it? So um, if that is going to be a support to yourself, but maybe you know, maybe it's speaking to a psychologist. Maybe it's you know asking your partner, "Can I speak to one particular person about it? Can you nominate a person that I can speak about it? Because I need to speak about it." Mm, um, it's very important, isn't it, to be able to? to oh, voice I think it. so. I think so. I mean, I'm somebody who really needs to voice what I'm going through to get it out. Mm. Um, but so going back to the. Mm. To where we were so coming out of rehab you know our life had revolved around alcohol around wine for a very long time and our social circle our financial income our you know Jason's ego revolved around the wine industry so he sort of said to me well what the heck am I going to do now I um it's all I've ever known I don't want to sell toothpaste I don't want to you know I don't want to do something that I'm not passionate about and I just looked at him and I remember the exact spot I was standing, we were standing in the, in the lounge room and I just said, why don't we create an alcohol-free beverage business that gives you that same ritual, that same sense of inclusion as pouring a beautiful glass of wine does, just minus the alcohol. And at that very moment I just watched his eyes light up, the switches came back on and it gave him something to focus on. And off he went to create our drinks business, Etch Sparkling. That's so cool. It's great where something amazing is born out of this intense suffering. It it almost makes it worth it. Yeah, and I think that's the case with a lot of people, isn't it, when they have um, had a major life change they want to share with others. But so Etch stands for every time choose health. You know, for us, obviously, there's the mental health piece is really important to us. So we talk about etch being a message in a bottle um, or can, but um, being able to share our journey and, you know, a message of social inclusion that you don't have to have a drink that looks, smells or tastes like alcohol. For us, it was really important that the drinks didn't replicate an existing alcohol style. So we didn't want to create a non-alcoholic wine or a beer, um, but, you know, we really just want to celebrate the fact that you can have an adult drink that's not full of all the sugar and um, preservatives and put that in whatever glass you like, whether it be a champagne glass or 
whatever glass, um, you know, that ritual of pouring yourself a drink, uh, apparently the dopamine hit comes as you reach for the glass. So it's not actually as you drink the alcohol, you know, whatever's in the drink. So that ritual is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's what Etch is all about. Wow. And they are beautiful drinks. I love them. And, yeah, I just, I just love, I love it when something great comes out of some, you know, like I said, the suffering, it's just really beautiful. Tell me what it was like after you got out of rehab and was there, were you worried with, you know, were you sort of watching his every move after that? And was it a clean slate for him after rehab? Um, yeah, so I was definitely worried. I felt um, during that time he was in the rehab, I felt a sense of relief because um, someone else was looking after him. Um, although it made me very nervous because he had a, a bedroom that had one thing that he could see from his room. It was he looked out on rooftops, but the only one thing he could see was the thirsty camel sign. I remember him telling me that in the um, in our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, and he was allowed to leave the rehab facility. Um, I think after the first week, you were allowed to leave, and. I, so that sort of, I was quite nervous about that too. Um, but I did sort of think, well, I guess that's steps towards independence and, you know, he could go, he can go to any corner of any street and buy alcohol anywhere. When he came home, I remember following him to um, meetings and making sure his car was there and I put on a, the tracker device on his phone. I tried to do it so he didn't know, but I think he knew. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, thankfully, it just gave me that sense of peace knowing that he was where he said, said he would be. And thankfully in my scenario, you know, he did start to improve and with every improvement that anxiety started to fade and you know, it was probably weeks or months. Um, he did have two slips after his rehab. Oh, wow. Um, so that Crown Casino incident was after rehab. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember that the days after that just tears pouring down my face and not being able to stop the tears thinking, I don't know what else I can do. You know, I, I don't know what we can do now. Um, but again, I really think it's so important to think of these slips as not failures, as learnings, not to give you an excuse to have a slip, but to excuse yourself if it happens, because it was Jason finding his way and working out that it's not possible. He can't drink. He can't drink like a, again, inverted commas, normal person, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, life's really unrecognisable now. We, um, I haven't had a drink myself for four years. Yeah, that's um, what I wanted to ask about that with your journey too. So at what point did you decide I'm going to stop drinking as well? I stopped drinking when things started to get pretty heavy with Jason, you know, probably the last six months or so before things got really heavy. Um, I was just quite repulsed at al- with alcohol, to be honest. I was just like this substance that is making my husband sick. Why would I want to drink that? I just had no desire. 
The other thing I would do, um, so, I mean, I didn't drink a lot, but probably in the years leading up to his decline of drinking, things like for me, um, having a glass of wine was always around food. So if I was having a roast chicken, I'd have a beautiful glass of Chardonnay and, you know, spaghetti bowl, glass of red. And so when I would normally have gone to pour myself a drink, I purposely didn't. Um, so I probably wound back my drinking quite a lot earlier. Yeah, I think it was around June or July four years ago. I don't know exactly, but I I haven't had a drink since um, and I have no desire to. One thing I, I will say, because we've been locked down in um, Melbourne for a good chunk of two years, I hadn't been out dining for a long time. And so, you know, the last couple of months I've been going out and and having meals at nice restaurants and looking at their 10-page wine lists and going, great, I get to choose from these three soft drinks on the back page. That, to me, is really triggering. So I remember thinking recently, oh, maybe, you know, I can have a glass of wine. Maybe I should just have a glass of wine so I can have an adult drink and feel included. And, again, going back to Etch, that's that very reason that we, we want to have offerings for people so that they, you know, do feel like they can have an adult glass of something that doesn't. It makes the journey so much easier, you know, yeah. you know, that you can go to a restaurant, you can have a nice drink and it just helps everybody and whether it's not, you know, yeah, if it's even if it is just the alcohol-free wine full-on replacement or yeah. just something that's nice and adult it's not full of sugar. Yeah. And which is probably more what I would go for. Um, that kind of I'm not so much into the replacement drinks, depending. Yeah, just something that's adult. So that's just amazing. And hats off to you too for supporting him in that way. I think that's brilliant that you were able to stop as well. And I, I get that too, that feeling of yuck, I'm repulsed by this stuff. It's making my mm. husband sick. Why would I do it? Uh, do you ever feel worried that if you were to start drinking that it might trigger him to drink or do you feel like he's just on his own path? Yeah, I do. It's um, it's weird. I really try and analyse my thinking around that because I have said to him, you know, what would you do if I wanted to have a drink? And he sort of said, oh, you know, that's, that's up to you. You know, his journey is his responsibility. But I still do feel like... I personally um, would struggle with drinking replica um, wines. I'm not saying I never will, but to me it would be a gateway back to drinking wine. Um, not so much. I can drink alcohol for beer and um, I don't have a problem with that. So, And I, I realise these, these drinks are so helpful to so many people in their journey but, yeah, it, it still makes me nervous. Um, I'm the same. I can drink the alcohol-free beers or a little, you know, a bit, mm-hmm. um, but I couldn't drink the one. I can drink the Monday Distillery G&T because I, I think that wasn't my drink before. You know, I drink yeah. a lot of wine. So I think that if I was to have a wine, ooh, I don't know if that would just get me on the other side. I just don't go there. I just, I don't yeah, like, and that's, yeah. That's, I think that's how we feel. For us it was definitely wine. I, I I really miss um, that champagne celebration. But, again, I think it's just that social conditioning that we needed rather than the actual taste of it. So I would be nervous to drink alcohol-free sparkling and 
I hear they're very good, but um, and maybe one day I will. But yeah, at this stage, I don't feel comfortable to do that. You know that that's something that. Um, so for us, we chose to use native Australian ingredients in our drinks as opposed to grapes um, or anything again like that replica replicates alcohol it would trigger it off yeah yeah during the during jason's recovery period he went on a bushwalk with a local indigenous man named lionel Wouch. he owns a, a business down here called living culture that helps to educate people on indigenous culture and native edibles and he showed jason on this walk that jason would normally run past all these native ingredients he showed jason all these um edibles that have been sustaining Indigenous people for many, many thousands of years as food and medicine. And so, you know, connecting the two between making an adult drink and this this new interest in edible plants, that's where we got the idea to create it from. So, mm, What a beautiful celebration that is, you know, you. to bring those two together. It's really lovely. Yeah. Thank you. So tell me if someone, what would you say to someone? What advice would you give if someone feels that their partner is struggling, but they don't know how to go about even bringing it up with them? And I know that was a different, that's not your situation because Jason was the one that came to you, Mm -hmm. but perhaps say he hadn't come to you and you did start to notice that there was an issue there. How, what's some, what's some ways that people could approach that? I think the number one thing would be to make sure um, they're not drinking at the time you bring it up. So perhaps it's the day after, you know, an event and, again, using compassion, bringing it up gently um, without pointing the finger or accusing. That would be my first tip. Yeah, and just trying to open that conversation because for many people it might take many years to for that awareness to come to the surface so you know a lot of people might notice they're drinking but not say anything notice notice someone else is drinking but not say anything to that person so that person doesn't realize they have a you know they don't realize they have a problem so I think just chipping away slowly and letting people letting your loved one know that you are concerned about their drinking would be a good start yeah I think that's great just and I love this approaching it with compassion rather than anger because sometimes our anger is just a fear response that we have because it's scary, you know, when you see someone that you love treating themselves in that way and being out of control, especially if that's your partner and you've got kids, you know, there's a lot. Yeah. It would be really I, scary. I think also acknowledging that this is something that's really, really tough, but acknowledging that it's their choice and their decision and you can only control yourself and protect your children. And so you can put it out there, you can um, do the research, you can put the podcasts under their nose, you can buy them books, um, email them links to articles, all these things that I did. But unfortunately, until that person is ready to hear the message themselves, I, I remember... Jason had been going to meetings and um, he he was still coming. He, he was quite angry. He'd come home from the meeting saying, I don't relate to these people. And the message that other, other people had said to him is take the bits that you do relate to and ignore the bits that you don't. 
Um, but I remember this particular day he came home and he just looked at me and he said, I feel like the cotton wool's been taken out of my ears. And it was this huge switch. I don't know what was said at that meeting. I did not know what triggered him, but it changed. And so, again, I think it's just that chipping away and being aware that when they're ready, you know, hopefully they come around. Yeah, yeah, and doing it with kindness and compassion. I think that's the big takeaway from today. And how has your relationship changed? Has it changed your relationship for the better? I know Ashen, mine and Ashen's relationship got a lot richer and more honest when we stopped drinking. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, I mean, the amount of time that you gain is crazy, isn't it? Like, um, yeah, so the, our connection is deeper, more meaningful. When we're with each other, we're present with each other. I mean, Jason was never... Um, like I said before, he was never aggressive or abusive, but he would fall asleep while he was tucking the kids into bed. And so I didn't really have a husband. He still actually goes to bed and falls asleep before I get there usually now. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, when he's with me, he's more meaningful. I also think it's really wonderful because we're both being positive role models to our children. And, you know, they're really actually that they say that they're never going to drink alcohol. And I sort of am the opposite with them. I say, look, don't you don't, you don't have to make that decision. Um, just have an awareness of it. Keep, you know, keep in check with your intuition if you do drink um, and just stay in control. But I think the younger kids these days are uh, cottoning on to the fact that you don't actually need alcohol to have a good time, don't you think? Oh, so many. Like well, This comes up in conversation all the time that so many of the younger generation now aren't smashing themselves like we were on the weekend. There is some kids which are that that way, but there's yeah. more kids I see and know of um, that they're just not interested. Some of my nieces and nephews, and there's a big drinking culture in my family, they're just not interested. They're just like, yes. ugh. It's so good, see what wankers we look like when we were drunk all the time and probably thought, fuck that. I know. And also like social media, God, you wouldn't want to be having, you know, having too many drinks with a camera around, would you? Fuck no. But that thing, you know, you're saying earlier, I could relate to that just when we were younger and some horrendous things would happen to especially some of my female friends when they were drunk. Um, you know, guys taking advantage of them and yeah. not respecting themselves that way and just being beside themselves the next day with, you know, that shame or they'd gone too far and, yeah. you know, even myself, you know, and, and did some things that was just like, fuck, why the fuck did I do that for, you know? Yeah. Wanting I know they talk to, about wanting approval. They, they talk about it, removing your inhibitions, but, um, yeah, like you say, you wouldn't do those things if you weren't drinking. So, Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, the it's really uh, shone a light on the fact that I have social anxiety. So um, I would never have known that before. But I, you know, if I ever needed to, actually, it's funny. But before doing Instagram lives or podcasts, I actually often have that. I need something to calm my nerves, and mm-hmm. um, or if I'm going to a party where I don't know people or that sort of thing. So for me. It's interesting to tune into why. Why is it that you feel a need to drink? What is that trigger um, in you? Is it because you're hungry? Is it because you're lonely? Is it because you're bored? Um, mm. They talk about the halts, don't they? Have you heard that one? Yeah. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Tired, yeah. Um, 
yeah, so I think that's, you know, checking in with why why you're being triggered, why you feel like a drink. And, again, in the, in the place of having an alcohol-free drink or any replacing that drink with something, you know, even if it's a soda water with a fresh squeeze of lime in it or mm. having that when you would normally have a glass of wine or something else, just replacing that ritual and having something in your hand if you're at a party makes it yeah. all the difference. Yeah. So many people that I work with um, and and speak to actually, like, and it's been coming up a lot lately in the podcast, but this, um, you know, that we're actually quite introverted and we are socially anxious people. And that's mm-hmm. probably why this started, you know, because we felt nervous and, in, you know, a bit um, lacking confidence and the alcohol gave us that. And then, of course, it spirals into bigger things. But, yeah. you know, it's nice to be able to show up and be authentic and say, well, I am a bit nervous socially and I'm I'm quite open with it now too. Like if someone asks me to go somewhere, I can just pretty much say, now, oh, I get a bit, you know, anxious or nervous socially around people I don't know and yeah. probably not this time. I'm just honest now and I could just show up and be exactly and just be that. Like if I am nervous and anxious, I can honour that. I don't have to bullshit my way through it by covering it up with alcohol yeah, and then acting in ways that I don't recognise or enjoy about myself. I- I heard something the other day which I loved was feelings are the best part of sobriety and the worst part of sobriety or something like that. So feeling all your feelings, you know, it's wonderful because you can feel everything heightened but the negative ones are also there to be felt. And, you know, that party I was visioning when I was saying to you about having social anxiety, I remember starting a conversation with a group of people and feeling really awkward and anxious and then I just almost felt this click into being present in the moment and having a connection with them which I don't think I would have had if I was drinking I would have just been blabbing on about whatever so it's that it's only that first few moments and then you kind of well for me that was oh totally absolutely I think that when you get there and you feel anxious for a little bit but once you settle in and you find someone that you can kind of talk to and connect with you, you feel a lot better. It's just that first initial moment. I think that's the craving too. I, when you'd when you'd arrive somewhere and you kind of want that drink straight away because you want yeah. that kind of little bit of that dopamine hit to feel confident and to yeah. feel good. But really, if you just write it out, then you kind of yeah. do click into gear, like you say. I yeah. remember um, sober in this, and uh, not sober. I was going to say sober in the city, sex in the city. I'm getting confused between sober and the country. Um, <laughs> Sex in the City, there was an episode where they talked about um, her dining alone armour where she would take her book and um, her phone or whatever. Mm. And that, to me, it's the same. It's that that armour that you have if you've got a drink in your hand. Mm. It doesn't have to be an alcoholic drink, but it's it's this. it keeps your hands busy for starters. It stops people from hassling you saying, do you want a drink, do you want a drink? Um, so yeah, it can be thought of as as your protection. Absolutely, yeah. It's like your little your little superpower, your little armor. Absolutely. <laughs> and a, another thing, like why I love what you do, like what you do with Etch and all these other amazing drink companies that are coming out now, is that there is you know having those options. And so anyone, everyone that I work with, that I say, you know, especially in that first few weeks, fill your fridge with every single alcohol-free drink you can possibly get your hands on. And I'm talking kombucha, etch sparklings, yeah. get your soda stream out, get your alcohol-free beers if that's your thing. Yeah. Fill your fridge up with so many options that it's not boring for you either when you get home and that you can still take the time 
to have that moment with yourself to just check in, give yourself permission to stop. But you've got lots of options there to choose from. Um, yeah. I think that's really important. Um, and um, the garnishes, I, I reckon mm-hmm. um, taking it that next step, you know, get yourself some dehydrated citrus or um, slice up some lemons and oranges in a Tupperware container and, you know, add them to yeah. your drink. So Make it fun. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's all about that that ritual, isn't it? And I think that's half the battle. Yeah, well, I had Nat from the Mindful Mocktail on recently and just speaking with her and, you know, how how she made it really fun, you know, making yeah. up those alcohol-free drinks and it became a, re- a really, oh, just she found it really fun and exciting, what a, you know, cool thing to do. And she's amazing. I love Nat. Oh, she's so beautiful. I loved her stories. She was just gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous, gorgeous she's, human. She Very is honest. and her, her Mindful Mocktail page is just such a bright, happy space and um, just, yeah, again, a great resource for people. Yeah, create those beautiful drinks, mm. have that ritual. So we can have all, you know, I'll say this a lot, but we can have all the things we just don't have to smash ourselves anymore with it. There's so many beautiful drink options like yours and others and we can do all the stuff. We can give ourselves permission to stop. We can go to a party and enjoy a drink. We can go out for dinner and enjoy a drink. We yeah. just don't have to smash ourselves anymore. Yeah. And uh, I, I know you've seen Jason's before and after photo, the, the shocking photo of him was probably 10 years ago. Um, but we talk about the fact that he gave up one ingredient one single ingredient and his whole life has changed for the better yeah so you know obviously that one ingredient he he needed a huge perspective shift to make that happen that um you know physically and mentally that one ingredient can make a huge difference so amazing absolutely so do you find that you know not just you and jason and, and jason's life's improved so much in you but you personally are you mm. grateful for the journey of sobriety? It's funny because you know how when you stop drinking you have that pink cloud, apparently. I hear of this pink cloud. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't unfortunately get the pink cloud because I just had this whole crash down of anxiety and all the emotions that I've been living, um, holding my family together. Mm. Um I think I ended up getting some weird illness in in that first lockdown and I think that was because of of everything. So I didn't get that initial kind of clarity or all these benefits of sleep and all these things that a lot of people talk about. So to answer your question, I mean, the benefits for me are that I have a healthy husband. Would I like to? I would have liked to have not gone through that journey. Mm. (laughs) Um, but I think it's made my mind more open to, you know, I would never have known this world of sobriety. And, um, yeah, I think it's a wonderful place. I think being able to be there for my children 100% to always be dependable, um, waking up every morning feeling. I, I had a Thai takeaway recently and I woke up the next day thinking, oh, my God, I feel like I'm hungover. And I just had this relief of, thank God, I'm never going to have to feel hungover. But I did, I think there must have been MSG in the time because I was very dehydrated. <laughs> but, yeah, grateful to, to not ever have to have a hangover again. Wow, what a great support you are. And you're both very lucky to have each other. Thank you. Know, you. And, yeah. I, I just wanted to say one thing that just came to my mind then. I remember when Jason was in rehab and I was so desperate 
to hear the answer to this question. And I said to him, are you ever going to drink again, thinking that he would was magically cured? And he couldn't answer me. And I remember feeling really uncomfortable with the fact that he couldn't give me an answer. And now I understand that, that no one ever has to answer that question. Even if you're 10 years sober, you never have to say, I'm not drinking again. It's just this very moment. It's just today. It's just today. Yeah. And even I don't say I'm never drinking again because you never know any, you know, no one knows what tomorrow brings. All I know is today I'm not going to. And I just think that's a really important message for people to know that they never have to put that label on themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And all you need to worry about is today. And I I feel it's too overwhelming sometimes if you think, for, forever but um, yeah I know although yeah I remember feeling that earlier but for me now I think I never want to fucking touch I just don't ever want that shit in my body ever yeah <laughs> yeah neither but, do I you know but I, I get it too you know I get I get that whole concept of just for today and yeah, yeah. and you do never know you do never know. So you do yeah. never know. But yeah, certainly no intention there. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Thanks so much, Andy, for coming on. And if anyone wants to check out Etch Sparkling, head to your website, which is yes. uh, www.etchsparkling.com.au. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.